0: there he is my friend jeffrey smith and uh, you're going to debut a new short film today we talked about it a while ago and it's actually ready for viewing
1: it is in fact in fact it it launched at 7 a.m pacific time today this is earth week we're asking people not only to watch it but to share it every day during earth week and when you see it, you'll understand why, because the Earth wants you to. Because if the Earth were saying, okay, here's your to-do list that will help me, and you, and your children, and your children's children, this would be on the short list of things to do, and that is raise the global alarm to protect, now, I'm gonna pay, pay careful attention here, the microbiome of the planet from genetically engineered microbes. Hmm. Now, what does this mean? Why is this something that grabbed my attention and my time, 25 years I've been working in the GMO field, educating people about the health dangers of GMO food. Why have I pivoted my time and the Institute for Responsible Technologies' time, starting a new global movement with partners all over the world seeking to raise $10 $10 million for this. What is so important about the global microbiome and protecting it from genetic engineering? When you hear the details, if this is the first introduction to this, when you hear the t- details, I have to warn you in advance, there is a gulp. There is a moment that will occur in a few minutes, If, if Robert Scott Bell is a good interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: don't expect that.
1: <laughs> All right. Within a couple of hours, he'll get around to it. Um, there's going to be a gulp when you realize, OMG, what do we do? It's like there's an immediate jump from, I get it. It's instant. And then how can we stop it? So we're going to weigh in and... In the film, which you can go to see at protectnaturenow.com, you're gonna—it's—it's it's 16 minutes only. It's only 16 minutes. So wait until after this interview, please. Don't jump mm-hmm. off. You can bookmark that page, but we're gonna go into more detail than the 16-minute film. So now, Robert Scott Bell, mm-hmm. I'm folding my hands. You—it's up to you to pull it out of me.
0: <laughs> you know what? I can—I can pull it out of you, or we can play the—the uh, the actual clip. Uh, to get people set up for this.
1: The 16-minute?
0: No, no, I've got a 2-minute, 21-second uh, version that gives people the, the overview, the trailer.
1: All right, let's yeah. do it. We've had about half a million views so far on the trailer, so let's do the 2-minute, but I'm going to go deeper than the trailer. So yeah. stay tuned after the trailer, and we're going to be jumping into some pretty important stuff.
0: This will set the stage, y'all. Pay attention. <laughs>
1: You can buy a do-it-yourself gene editing kit from Amazon for $169 so you can alter bacteria in the comfort of your own home. The most common and consistent result from genetic engineering from the beginning has been surprise side effects. When you genetically engineer bacteria, algae, fungus, viruses, They can't be traced and they can proliferate easily around the planet.
0: All of those um, treatments where the genetically engineered bacterium had been present were
1: dead. We're talking about a real world potential nightmare.
0: Just everything that exists in a terrestrial system would be slowly but surely destroyed as this bacterium moved out. So we were within two weeks of that genetically engineered organism being released two weeks. Looking at the ecological effect of a bacterium engineered this way, the logical consequence of releasing this to the real world would be that we would lose terrestrial plants.
1: It could theoretically change weather patterns.
0: There is an excellent possibility it will swap genetic information with the bacteria that reside in our gut.
1: COVID-19 is a glaring example of how microorganisms, whether genetically engineered or not, can quickly encircle the globe.
0: Once GMO bacteria are released, no policy can stop it.
1: There are companies now with facilities full of robots driven by artificial intelligence for massive release. What if 100,000 different strains are released in this generation? What if it's a million? All future generations are sentenced to inherit our mistakes.
0: The time we have to control these things is before you release them. And that is the only time. It would have affected the whole world. We just talked about fertility, life, soil, and otherwise, Super Don, last hour. We had Marjorie Wildcraft, uh, you know, a clip as well on that. And we just saw a clip from Jeffrey Smith Institute for responsible technology reveal that this new level of GMO technology could destroy the very essence and basis for all life on the planet from the soil on out. You, the big gulp you talk about it is I well, thought the seven 11 version was bad.
1: <laughs> there's actually about, there's about five gulps in here. Okay. I'm going to weigh us in. The first is that, when you introduce a GMO into the environment, how long does it last if, it, if it's viable? So Robert, you're gonna answer this question. <laughs> When does it go away? Does it stick around? Does it stay? Does it go away? What happened? Well,
0: the, the, here we got theoretical and actual, and I'm not sure about the actual. I mean, in theory, if you release something genetically engineered into the uh, the world, if it's selected to survive certain things, it'll continue. If not, it will select itself out, in a sense.
1: Exactly. So there was a an excuse given by the biotech industry why they could change the nature of nature 30 years ago, saying... Oh, anything that we create in the lab will have a survival disadvantage and will be ushered out of the ecosystem. That turns out not to be true. Not only can some of their creations accidentally have a survival advantage, but they can change their genetic structure spontaneously, even generations after release, because it's not always stable. So that's the first point to know, and that is that when you release a GMO into the environment, it can be there forever. And that's one piece that gets sobering when you think about what is the most common result of the process of genetic engineering. And this has been the case since the beginning. And it's very simple, surprises. We don't have an understanding of the DNA sufficient to predict what's going to happen when we genetic engineer. The process itself causes collateral damage in the DNA and the biotech industry has said, oh, well, gene editing is better than the original. We can predict it's safe. It's just natural. We can call it breeding. These are lies. These are, these are false attempts to try and convince regulators and consumers that they should turn a blind eye to gene editing. And unfortunately, they have convinced governments, which now allow gene editing to be introduced through various channels into the environment, into our food supply with virtually no regulation or oversight in countries all over the world. So two things. You have the process of genetic engineering. Well, three things. GMOs are permanent. The process creates problems. And now with gene editing, it's cheap and easy. You can get a do-it-yourself CRISPR kit on Amazon for $169. That was in the trailer. But that gives you only a few uh, changes you can do to certain bacteria that probably wouldn't survive. But for 2000, you can get your own lab and create your own microorganism that's never been released before into the environment. You can name it each day with a new name and release them into the environment, and they may stick around forever. Now, what's interesting is that if you were to genetically engineer a cow, it won't affect all of cowdom, very quickly. It has to, be, has to give birth to other cows passing on a gene, and so you can grow out a herd. And at some point in the future, a significant number of the cows on the planet may have your trait, especially if it's a gene drive which gets put into all offspring, not just half of them. But when you release a microbe, part of the microbiome, whether it's bacteria, archaea, viruses, et cetera, mm-hmm. It travels. Now, I don't. we didn't need a pandemic to know that bacteria and other microbes travel. In fact, in the film, you'll hear about a secret, unacknowledged study of the EPA where they confirmed that bacteria that was genetically engineered and released in a field in, this is alleged because they didn't admit it, but it was told by EPA whistleblowers to mm-hmm. uh, Elaine Ingham, traveled all around the world. The bacteria traveled all around the world. So we know from microbes you know from pandemics bacteria can travel all over the world now we don't have to wait even for the bacterium the bacteria to procreate because they do something that we don't they swap genetic material so you put in something into one particular microbe and it could end and you let's say you release it in an arkansas field to regenerate the the soil microbes that have been depleted because of Roundup and you wanna build the soil and you wanna sequester carbon, all good ideas, but you're using a technology that is not controllable. And the gene that you put in there or the genes that you put in there could end up in infant intestines. It could end up in an ecosystem in the Sahara Desert. It could end up in the atmosphere.
0: The, the speed at which this could uh, transform the planet, not for the better. Uh, you would talk about a big gulp or a frightening moment of recognition going back into the earlier mid 20th century at the advent of antibiotics. It, little is known or little do they admit until you go back and dig deep in the history within weeks of the first antibiotic, they detected resistance because the microbes expressed new genetic material that made them able to eat the toxic poison for lunch. And so, to be surprised by resistant microbes on the planet at this point, obviously, is just it's an absurd thought that it could be a surprise what you're talking about, that you could bring uh, genetically altered bacteria into the world somehow and it would somehow self-contain. Because they also, even outside of what you just mentioned, which was not even relying on bacterial reproduction per se, that the exchange of information was happening even without that, but even so, the life cycle of bacterium versus higher life forms including moo cows, it's like the speed of light doesn't describe how fast this is compared to how fast a moo cow or a human would procreate and then pass on these new uh, genetic uh, codes or information.
1: And I would say we have, we're starting to get the aha. We're starting to get that gulp moment. And the gulp moment is distributed among bad actors and general microbiome intelligence. We highlight three bad actors in the film. The first is potentially pandemic pathogens. You know how they have convinced governments that they should enhance the infectability of certain pandemic pathogens so that they can study it better and possibly develop vaccines and possibly be able to monitor the natural progression in nature better by creating the most lethal versions in a laboratory. Now, before I tell you what's in the film and you'll see when you go there, They have the USA Today has found an enormous number of laboratory accidents hundreds and hundreds, over a thousand laboratory accidents. And many of them were were actual releases of bacteria and other microbes that were dangerous, and some were very, very serious. And even the um, anthrax and flu lab of the CDC got shut down when they accidentally shipped potentially live anthrax to putting scientists at risk. And there was some other problems. And it was the same week that they discovered a live smallpox virus that had been stored in a storage locker somewhere since the early 50s and late 40s. And they one person just carried these rattling uh, glass vials, literally rattling, because one had broken, over to the lab and say, here. I mean, if that had actually gotten out, it could have created a a, uh, pandemic like we know. So in one of the cases we want to, these potentially pandemic pathogens, we want to stop the genetic enhancement of them, even indoors because they can get outdoors too easily. But there's also bad actors They were almost released, intended to be released. You'll see these in the film. One that could have theoretically ended terrestrial plant life on the planet and one that could have theoretically altered weather patterns on the planet. And when I say altered or changed or or made terrestrial plant life, we have no technology to clean it up. We can't go around and selectively remove the gene or the the strain of bacteria that's now all over the planet. So we talk about the bad actors and that gets your attention. However, there's the general intelligence of the microbiome that can be knocked out of whack. That's the scientific term, knocked out of whack. And in order to appreciate what that means, I know you guys have talked about the microbiome a lot. One of the faces of our campaign is a brilliant microbiologist, Kieran Krishnan. He's in the film. He's not in the trailer. <clears throat> Michelle Perro, also in the film, pediatrician, and both have become quite expert in the microbiome. Michelle more for the infant and child's microbiota, and Kieran for general microbiome. Now, Kieran points out that. The human being has 22,000 genes, approximately, and the earthworm has more. And the reason why we are considered higher intelligence from a genetic standpoint is that we have access to, work with, and have co-evolved for millions of years with the genetic elements of the microbes inside of us. 3.5 million genes from the microbes inside of us. And that gives us our special edge. I remember interviewing Dietrich Klinghart for my series, Healing from GMOs and Roundup. He said, as you eliminate the microbiome of the brain, and I wasn't even aware that there was a microbiome in the brain, when you reduce that, you reduce the intelligence. He and others talked about how if a woman has breast cancer, a certain bacteria will move into the breast to protect it. If they destroy the bacteria, thinking that that's the problem, it, the cancer spreads more. Certain fungus goes into the brain of Alzheimer's patients. I think it was Zach Bush who told me this helps the brain. It's not causing the Alzheimer's, it's the body's reaction to protect it. But we don't have to go to disease models. Michelle Perro talks about how The birth canal is originally populated with bacteria that helps fertility and conception. And then in the second trimester, it's replaced with bacteria that digest milk. Hello? Mm. Why? (laughs) Because it gets inoculates the child and then the child can digest the milk, but it doesn't stop there. Inside the breast milk, there's bacteria for the baby's gut. About 30% of the bacteria or microbes that uh, occupy the baby's gut are from the breast milk. And 10% are from the skin of around the nipple because it gets transferred skin to skin. And a significant amount of the breast milk, this is actually stunning, a significant amount of the breast milk is indigestible by the infant. It's specifically designed not to be digested in the stomach or small intestine. It's for the microbiome of the baby mm-hmm. And there's about a hundred different types of these oligosaccharides. But what's even more brilliant is that when the baby has certain physiological needs, that gets expressed in the microbiome, in their saliva and passed back through the breast to the mother. Kiran Krishnan says, we have outsourced 90% of our day-to-day functions to the microbiome. Mm -hmm. That if there is a cell wall that's busted because of leaky gut and problems there, and there's problems with with, uh, the whole structure of the intestines, we don't have cells in our body that can tell our body what's going on. We have outsourced that to certain... Microbials who tell us this gene, this cell needs to be replaced. We need more of the mucosal structure here. It's an outsourced. There's certain quorum sensing microbes where it'll evaluate the presence of pathogens, it'll surround pathogens to reduce them. It is absolutely brilliant. You see, this micro Jedi army, this unseen level of intelligence has been operating on our behalf and on behalf of other organisms, other higher organisms, as well as the ecosystems. And if they collapse or even slightly are slightly altered, this is the key, if they are slightly altered in ways that we don't yet understand because we don't have a definition for what a healthy microbiome looks like, anywhere in the world, not just in ourselves, but anywhere. But we do know that slight changes in the microbiome can cause ill health to humans, damage to an ecosystem, and even ecosystem collapse. Now comes the next gulp, Hmm. okay? The next gulp is this. If we don't stop it, all the high school biology classes Are going to be using CRISPR and creating microbes, doing environmental releases by flushing them down the toilet. All of the biology uh, labs in college, many of them already have CRISPR. We have the home, you know, the home chemistry kits you may have used as a kid Mm -hmm. can be home CRISPR kits. We have transnationals like Bear Monsanto with robots being driven by artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. so they can have an array going 24 seven, producing different genes that can end up in different microbes, we could end up with millions, millions of new microbes entering the environment. And a certain subset of those could cause ecosystem collapse and health problems, et cetera. So the second plank, we want to stop the genetic enhancement of pathogens that could create pandemics, so don't even do them in a lab, just don't do that. And that for all microbes being created in labs or used in factories for synthetic biology, for all of them, never allow a release. Keep it indoors. And we have some additional recommendations for the new laws that are we're hoping to create. And we're going to invite everyone to participate in our global movement. You can go to protectnaturenow.com and we'll explain what what you can do there in a few minutes. But one of the things that we created for our bills is to assign the liability for any damage for health, the environment, or economics to the supply chain that created these genetically engineered microbes. And that they not only have to cover the expenses in case of a purposeful or accidental release, but they have to continue to monitor and clean up, which is a nearly impossible or possibly impossible task. So, if they're really going to take it, they're really going to be responsible for their creations, they have to do it economically, and we'll see what the insurance companies say about how much they would have to pay in premiums, knowing That anywhere in the world, if their product is found, Mm -hmm. they would have to cover the costs. And if they say it's too expensive, we could say, yeah, that's right. It's too expensive. Better to use non-GMO methods.
0: Yeah, the price being as high as the very life of the planet we're on and all life on it, uh, I think uh, it is too expensive. The marketplace would not, uh, let's say, provide for it. And you brought up a very cogent point regarding economics. These companies that do this and invest in this technology recognize that if there's liability, they have to factor that in to their investment. And there are certain things that they factor in and say, it's just not worth it. And yet, if there is no liability, it's full speed ahead with no consciousness at all. Whatever destruction that happens, it's not their concern. And the spiritual, I'll say it this way, Jeffrey, the spiritual immaturity of those who conduct business in this way unfortunately have to be treated like little two-year-old children that haven't learned right and wrong Mm -hmm. in this way. I mean, if we had a spiritual consciousness, we wouldn't need to make laws like this. It would be, I'm going to say it funnily, patently obvious (laughs) to, to, to not go down this road. It's just plain stupid. But we don't have that consciousness. And, you know, we've been observing it for so long here regarding people that feel like they can eat anything they want and there should be no consequences. They can just run to the doctor for a magic pill, toxic as it may be, to absolve them of all their, let's say, dietary sins. <laughs> you know, I utilize this, this uh, communication tool purposefully to help people see that. But not everybody will in time. We know that. And now we're also witnessing the alteration of our genes through injectable technologies, And I know that it may not fall under the CRISPR uh, definitions yet, but who's to say that they aren't already experimenting and how they can manipulate us that way, too, directly. And as we learn more about the microbiome, thanks to Zach Bush and others that you've interviewed and spotlighted in this film and others, uh, it's just humbling. As I've said many times, not only do we know that we have more microbes in our gut than we have human or mammalian cells in our entire body, but that which they do that we can't do without them. So the idea of destroying them because we're afraid of them, which is the germ theory, which is a fear-based perspective on life and living, if you can call it that, we have become victimized by attacking the very thing that allows us to create and procreate. Isn't that interesting? So we've, we've gone down this almost suicidal uh, uh, ideation or agenda manifesting because of the fear of the microbes that we then manipulate that will then become that which <laughs> they aren't. You know, the science fiction dystopian future becomes present and you've been at this, you know, in the GMO field and taking it to another level with this particular 16 minute film presentation that we have linked up in the show notes. So, you know, a little bit more about what people can and should do with this, as well as, you know, to share it, but how we can support these efforts.
1: Beautiful. So, first of all, we have a live panel discussion on Earth Day. Um, it'll be at 10 Pacific one o'clock Eastern. Um, It'll be broadcast. You can go to our website at protectnaturenow.com. I think you have a link straight to the registration I have it right
0: there, yes. I'm showing it right now on the screen. So go ahead and talk about what we're seeing here.
1: Beautiful. Well, in that that meeting, which is going to last about an hour, and you can ask questions at the end, we'll be introducing people to our Protect Nature Now campaign. Um, Kieran Christian is going to speak more about the intelligence of the microbiome, um michelle perro is going to speak about some of the intelligence of the infant microbiome as well as how genes pass easily from one to another um we're gonna, jim thomas is going to introduce a concept called gene drives which i just mentioned earlier but we'll let him give the full details um we have a genetic engineer present mm-hmm. uh, michael antonio he's not in the film he's been a friend of mine since 2004 brilliant man he's working to do research on human gene therapy to heal illnesses that's not inheritable. So not changing future generations of humans, just correcting genes, but he's totally against the use of genetic engineering in agriculture, in food, etc., because he's intimately aware of what could go wrong. And with human gene therapy, they check everything, and they discover all sorts of collateral damage, and they're very protective because of what's at stake, whereas some reason the people developing the food ignore most of what's going on from their genetic engineering and don't pay attention to what could be happening in terms of the human condition when people eat the GMOs or the Roundup Mm -hmm. sprayed on those GMOs. So he'll be speaking about the efforts by industry to lie to the governments, to pretend that gene editing... Is safe and predictable and easy and and breeding. It should be called breeding. And there, there's a the EU, uh, the European Union, said that gene editing should be treated like other GMOs. And there was an eruption of of opposition because the whole biotech industry doesn't want that to happen. Now that Brexit has occurred and the UK has its own rulemaking structure, they're under tremendous pressure not only from the biotech industry but from the United States government to Basically, exempt gene editing from any regulations, and mm-hmm. that's already the case, essentially, in the United States. So he'll be talking about that, and I will also be introducing our campaign. Now, one of the things that our campaign involves. And let me know when we need to take a break because you are you are in charge of that.
0: Well, Jeffrey, I am just going to say that our break was to show that two and a half minute trailer of the movie. So we're go- we're golden right to the end of the show. You Sounds and me. Good. Yeah.
1: All right. So, you know, Robert, when I was working so diligently on ending genetically engineered crops for food, I was feeling very cocky because I didn't need to involve the governments at all. I didn't need any government regulations. I just needed a critical number of people to say we don't want to eat GMOs and the marketplace would handle it from there. And so we, we were talking about just a small percentage of the population seeking non-GMO and about 51% of the US population now believes that GMO foods are not safe and about 48% of the world's population. So we have more people on our side than we need and the food companies are systematically eliminating it so that they don't face the loss of sales when their are compet- competing brands on the same shelf, say non-GMO, and theirs doesn't. So that was moving along very well, and we were in a great state of celebration for our success. We pioneered the behavior change messaging that was then adopted and expanded around the world. I gave 1,000 lectures in 45 countries and wrote two books and made four movies, and we were feeling pretty good about things until... The gene editing technology came onto the marketplace, and it's so cheap and easy for the price of dinner. If you have a lab, you can create an organism. We realized that your purchases in your supermarket are not going to stop genetically engineered insects or trees or flowers or bacteria. And so we were thinking we need to reframe our messaging and actually go to the governments and create laws because of the unrecallability, the permanence, the changing the gene pool. And if we look at the fact that how many GMOs can be created in this generation, virtually everything is being targeted now, well-meaning people, well-meaning scientists, we could replace nature. We could eliminate the products of the billions of years of evolution and replace it with designer organisms using designer genes designed for some cases greater greater profit and control, in some cases for beneficial outcomes, but it's based on a technology that's prone to side effects. And we would be bequeathing to all future generations little genetic time bombs that we have no way to predict when they'll go off and what they will do. We know from rabbits released in Australia in 1859, 24 rabbits released, some say on Christmas Day, so that people would feel more comfortable hunting rabbits. Well, rabbits multiply like rabbits, and by the 1920s, there was over 10 billion. It cost over $600 million a year today in Australia, not to mention the the cane toads and all these other invasive species, so we know that little introductions of single invasive species can have a dramatic effect for health, environment, and economy. But with gene editing, you can replace everything within an ecosystem. So the, the industry is actually looking at GMEs, Genetically Modified Ecosystems, where a farmer can say, okay, I want this type of genetically engineered spray using RNAi, I want these gene microbes, I want this genetically engineered Insects to deliver these GMO viruses directly into the crops the DOD is Department of Defense is working on something like that and they can create an entire Engineered environment now this happens Intentionally, but if you realize that people all over the world are wanting to target anything with DNA from algae to animals and fungus to flowers and bacteria to butterflies they'll be released, and then those will be collected, and they'll be, again, gene-edited, and they'll be gene-editing upon gene-editing. What was natural within a few generations will become a moot point, because we will have a different, a replaced nature, Mm -hmm. not designed by evolution or the creator, but by engineers.
0: Well, the question becomes... How, if possible, do we find our way back? And and the argument perhaps is we can't at a certain point. And it's, I mean, this is a, you you feel the urgency, another jaw dropping moment, and go, my gosh, we can't wait <laughs> to figure this one out.
1: Yes, that's true, and that is that that still I still haven't answered your question. What can we do, or what are we doing? So, it took us twenty five years to create. Um, such a success! I can't say we we did it alone, of course, at the Institute for Responsible Technology, but I'm quite sure we pioneered the focus on the health dangers of GMOs as the consumer motivator. Because when I started and wrote the book Seeds of Deception, and and inaugurated the institute, there wasn't a single other nonprofit talking about the health dangers beyond three or four sentences. They were focused on the environment and on farmer's choice and saving seeds and patenting of life. And I was thinking this is not the strategy that's going to take hold. We need to move the dollar through education of consumers, and that's actually turned out to be a good guess. Um, so now what we're doing is we realize we don't have 25 years to wait to build a new movement. So what we decided to do was, first of all, create new laws. I'll explain how we're doing that. But the laws are going to be at every level. International treaties, the Convention on Biological Diversity, uh, WHO, WTO, all these things. And also federal laws and state laws and local laws. But I know from personal experience that laws about GMOs or anything can change with regime change or special interest influence. I was flown to Poland by the government once in order to give a press conference with the minister of environment and praised their non-gmo food and feed policy at the time and a week later they voted in a new government that was pro-gmo it's flown to to brazil by the government and you know it was just different things change you know i've seen it i've seen, you know, saw it in thailand we can't rely on laws to be a stable preventive strategy over time and this thing absolutely requires a long-term ironclad solution. So in addition to the laws, not in—not instead of, but in addition to the laws, we need to embed an understanding in popular culture, in education, in the civilization, that we've come to an inevitable time in human history where we can easily redirect the streams of evolution for all time and that this carries a new responsibility to safeguard to safeguard all living beings and all future generations because for the first time in human history we can easily easily mangle all living beings and all future generations in an irreversible way so we want to create documentaries and books and tv shows and coverage and have You know the thought leaders and the celebrities. And basically, we want everyone in the world to know, at least as well as they know about global warming, at least as well as they know about everything, that this is a requirement. We know no one would want to give an atomic bomb launcher to a infant and say, oh, don't press the red button. It is completely obvious. But it is not completely obvious that we don't give CRISPR to someone to say, oh, and don't release that into the environment, Mm -hmm. especially if it's a microbe that can spread around the world and wreak havoc. We want people to get that equation. They don't have that. Mm -hmm. So we want to bring that educational system completely around the world, and we want to create new laws. Now, we have a way of reaching elected officials in the United States, on our website, it's an advocacy platform. If you go there, go to the take action button or it'll say advocacy platform right there, take action. And you enter, for those in the United States, we'll start there. You enter your zip code and your name and address and all of your elected officials magically appear with an email, pre-written, we encourage you to Customize, customize it, and send it. Click, click, click. Done. Then you can tweet your elected officials about what you just said. Sent. It's pre, it's pre-populated. You can hit send, or you can customize. Then there's a Facebook post to all of your elected officials that have Facebook pages, and you can click and send that. And you can click and send a message to all of your social media. You can sign a petition. You can send out. Our press release to member to media in your area. You can check what check which ones you want. Customize the introduction, so you can have an immediate effect on let's just say a hundred different actions. In three to five minutes, the first time, two to three minutes thereafter. Every time we have something new to share, campaigns. Once you sign up, we will say. And now you can tell them about this film. And now you can tell them about this white paper, now you can tell about this report. And we know, this is, this is interesting news, we know there are members of Congress from both parties who are interested in working with us and are looking to see what kind of social media support there is. And so it's not an abstract principle. You know, sometimes people say, sign a petition and it's really not very appropriate or important. We're gonna use that petition also to go to scientific organizations to create policy, institutional review boards at universities so that they don't allow studies on their campus that would allow release of these things. We're going to turn individual participation, whether it's a petition, letters, posts, tweets, into demonstration of a movement. At the same time, we realize that we cannot grow a movement from scratch in time. But this is a mission critical issue for most other movements. So for example, I was talking to a friend of mine, Andre Lou, who's the head of Regeneration International. He saw the 16-minute film and said, you are right on, I love what you're doing. It's completely aligned with regenerative agriculture. Because regenerative agriculture relies on the soil to do the heavy lifting to sequester carbon and regenerate the soil, etc. So he sent out a notice to his hundreds of different organizations. So again, a, he's at the, uh, is a network of networks, people involved with climate change. If you just reframe that a little bit, it becomes planetary survival. Well, while you're in the business of planetary survival, have you considered the microbiome? If you're successful, and we're not, you lose. <laughs> what about oceans? Yeah, you can genetically engineer algae and destroy the ecosystem and the food web in the oceans. What about gardeners? Of course. What about birders? Of course. What about animal rights people? Of course. So if you breathe, eat, or exist in nature, You're affected. So what we want to do is invite everyone to become a distribution hub, individually and organizationally, to take our information and share it. That's what this advocacy platform does. It shares it specifically with elected officials, but also with your own social media.
0: Jeffrey, I got to ask you real quick, because we have a lot of links in the notes today to get all these things. I want to be sure, like one of the easiest ones I see is called protectnaturenow.com. Can they get all the things you've just referenced in terms of advocacy plugging in through that particular website? I want to make sure we're directing them the right way.
1: Yes. Yes, that will get you there. I, I just rewrote the homepage on Friday. It was put up this morning where it has the film and the trailer on the left side, and it has an invitation to go to the advocacy platform on the right side, above the fold. You can click there, and then you can participate. And we will be sending information out. You see, the thing is this. I'm really glad to speak to your audience, Robert, because what I find is that the epidemic, and I've mentioned this to you before, The epidemic which underlies the GMO issue, which underlies so many of these issues, is the concept that it's not responsibility, it's someone else's responsibility and either I hope they're doing a good job or I think they're doing a good job, but it's a reductionistic, dividing, not me, not my problem kind of attitude that is actually part of the educational system that was designed to create good soldiers and good workers and giving our power to our teachers and to the government. And you know all about this. In this case, I believe I'm talking to people who have cured that epidemic for themselves. And they realize, what's interesting also, Robert, is this. And we've talked about this. If you have given your power away as your traditional mode of action, and you hear something like this, you can be caught in fear or sadness or anger, and you won't necessarily see there's a way to go and get out of it. But if you have, if you digest information differently, and you realize, oh, This is a new requirement. This is an inevitable time in human civilization. We were meant to get here where we can have the tools to change the DNA. And just because you should do doesn't mean, just because you can do doesn't mean you should do, quoting Mm -hmm. Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park. But what it also means is we get to invite the human population to have a bigger vision than it has ever had in human civilization. So it encompasses all living beings. It encompasses the unseen kingdoms. It encompasses all future generations. And we realize that our actions today can create ripples ripple effects in time and space. And that we have a job to be stewards of that. So we get to, we get to, it's our honor, we get to change and, and enlighten the thinking of humanity, so it doesn't have to be a burden. No, it can be an opportunity that we get to participate in. And so when we hear these jaw-dropping, these gulps, we realize, oh, how can I help? What can I do? And one of the things that people can do is to donate. Donations are the number one priority for our institute and our Protect Nature Now coalition, we created an organizational chart and said, okay, if we're fully funded for work in the U.S. and partially in Europe, how much would it cost? You know, How much will we spend on PR and marketing and asset production and films, et cetera? And it's in the millions of dollars. And we haven't broken through anywhere near that. So there's a few of us working way over time doing skill sets that we haven't yet learned. We apologize for mistakes that we've made. But we are setting up the groundwork, and we need your help. So for those that choose to donate, please don't think you have to spend a lot of money. I would just say be on the team. And, and being on the team, make it a monthly donation, even $5 a month. You know, if you can afford $5 a month, fine. But now you know you're participating, you're investing and when it's per month, and this is a nonprofit for those donating in the United States, because you are donating per month, we know, oh, we have a certain amount of money coming in, and now we can hire this position in this organizational chart, and then this position. And now we have money to bring in the the heavy hitters for a good documentary, and now we can do a TV show, and now we can open office in Brussels, and now we can work in Chinese, and now we can work in Russian, and now we can work in Africa, etc. And at the same time, we're inviting organizations around the world to clone us, and we will support them. So we need training directors. We need training coordinators so we can create a global movement just... Add message and stir so that all of the other movements participate, extending the information out to millions, hopefully eventually billions, and then we lock it down as a humanity. Because this really is a full humanity issue. One bad actor, country, transnational, can mess up the microbiome for everyone, this is a way that we get to act more responsibly as a race than ever before. So I think it's a very glorious opportunity facing a very serious and urgent threat, and I'm all about that.
0: So as you go into the 16-minute film, I want you to think about what Jeffrey just said as far as your mindset going in because we've talked about some gulp moments that could bring up fear, anxiety, anxiousness, uh anger, all of that, which are, you know, normal and pretty much expected human emotions. But going in with the mindset of what can I do to help? I'm here for this. I'm here at this time for this and then see what speaks to you as far as the many opportunities you have. To participate, you know, whether it be donating monthly, whether it be engaging more directly in the organizational structure, somehow helping a skill you have, whether it be reaching out in the political sphere or to reach out uh, to those that you know that are operating within the technology, to perhaps shift consciousness to influencers there as well. We talk about influencers like I have a reach. Jeffrey reaches out to people who have that reach in whatever area they are to utilize your sphere of influence to share one thing right now. The simplest thing today, we've learned share the little film, the 16 minute thing. And it's at, what do we got? Protect Nature Now. I mean, it's a simple website to remember. We have it linked up as well. Uh, and it's protectnaturenow.com. Uh, We just saw that little snippet of it, but 16 minutes. I mean, I think it was brilliant that you actually decided not to do another feature length scenario because this is so urgent. Let's get people in for 16 minutes, sit them down. You know, the impact we have with 90 minute features is still happening around the world. I mean, when I go out and lecture, people still ask me about how do I get so-and-so to help change their diet? I said, you know, watch secret ingredients movie, right? So it's not that it can't be done too, but once people are in recognizing the I guess you say the danger of the risk has just been amped up in a more critical way.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a new technology with yeah. new risks. It's new technology with new risks. It's like it took so long to get GMOs to the market before, you know, millions of dollars. It was mostly food crops. It took, mm. you know in 25 years. There was 12. Yeah. Soy, yeah. corn, cotton, canola, sugar beets, alfalfa. But uh, now with, paya, with,
0: with this CRISPR thing, I think we have a, Uh, let's see there's an article here as well in the notes that takes you to gmwatch.org it says new scholarly briefing raises tough questions about gene editing in agriculture Uh, and you know it seems like oh man everybody's got a home nuclear bomb kit right based (laughs) on what we're we're doing and I saw that image when you were getting there absolutely it's like until you think of it in those terms you're like what's the big deal no this is a very big deal Uh, the articles are there for you to review and we link them up for that purpose Uh, You know, and also, Jeffrey, on another topic we're we're covering a lot on this show, of course, is the mRNA technology, what they're calling vaccines to, you know, cause different gene expression proteins to come up in people. I mean, this is the accelerated version of what took years and years and years to do before accelerated into that realm. I don't know how much crossover there is in these topics here, but the concern is growing as we're seeing adverse events multiply.
1: Well, I can say this, that a lot of people, I just got, I think, a, a, a message today, this morning, I woke up to it, someone asking my opinion of the, of the vaccines. And I'm not an expert at the vaccines. I can't comment on it. I'm one of those meticulous type of people that if you want to know what I think, and it's in public, I better have done my research and feel really good that I know what I'm doing. So mm-hmm. I've spent 25 years studying and speaking about GMOs, and I'm not, nothing really for <clears throat> vaccines or this new technology. And I also have this other um, habit of not tying the Institute with other movements or causes. You see, I, I was one time at the Health Freedom Expo where you and I have spent some time and I was on this uh, panel. I've mentioned this. It was a George Norrie panel and there was so many do- It was a big fight going on between all of the doctors. I remember that. And Uh, when it was, I said, okay, give a final minute. And I said, there's a lot of controversy up here, but everyone agrees with me. Don't eat GMOs. And the people went crazy. They loved it. And that's how I like to keep it. It's like, I'm delivering a pristine message that's not tied in with Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or Progressive. It's simply this, you know, the technology Mm -hmm. is not being used responsibly, we need to protect nature now and we here's how we can do it mm-hmm. and that's fortunate. fortune we're going to end up with republicans and democrats absolutely this bills. is
0: the thing that brings people together that's what we ultimately try to do here as well and jeffrey you've been doing it so well for so many years
1: thank you for listening to live healthy be well Please subscribe to the podcast using whatever app you listen to podcasts with or go to LivehealthyBeWell.com to subscribe. This podcast will inform you about health dangers, corporate and government corruption, and ways we can protect ourselves, our families and our planet. I interview scientists, experts, authors, whistleblowers and many people who have not shared their information with the world until now. Please share the podcast with your friends, it will enlighten and may even save lives. Safe eating.